Welcome to this week's episode on defining grief and bereavement in the midst of pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. DeVries, and I'm a third-year psychiatry resident. And here with me is my co-host, Dr. Vincent Fryer. Nice to be here today, Dr. DeVries, as always. So I am sorry in advance that we've been kind of lagging on new episodes. Usually we come out with new episodes every two weeks, but actually I have been dealing with grief and bereavement myself as I just lost my grandmother uh, the day before Thanksgiving. So this is a special episode dedicated to her and As I am experiencing this grief, I thought that many of you out there are going through the same thing and emotions, and that's why we decided that we would like to discuss what grief is, what bereavement is, and how to spot when you are dipping into major depressive disorder. That sounds great, Dr. DeVries, and uh, again, uh, when I say we are truly sorry for your loss, you know, I, I know it comes from my heart and also from the listeners. Well, thank you. So I just wanted to say that my grandmother did not pass away from COVID-19, but I see a lot of patients in the clinic that they say that December especially is very hard for them because they have passed, because they have their loved ones who passed away during these months and they are dealing with that loss. So we would like to discuss in this episode an article that specifically looked at grief and the COVID-19 pandemic in the older adults. So as many of you know, COVID-19 can cause severe illness and death, and our individual and community responses to the virus have all sorts of secondary consequences that have additional consequences, like grief the difficulty grieving on its own, and the risk of something called prolonged grief. So I would like to mention a journal article I, I came across from uh, written by Joseph Govias and Catherine Shear, and that was actually published this year in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. So what was interesting to me in that article is that they predict that we are going to see more cases of what the DSM-5 calls prolonged grief disorder. And I actually have never heard of that before I looked this up. Have you? Um, I had not heard of this prolonged grief disorder uh, particularly, but it seems quite reasonable when you kind of think about it. So before we get into the article, I'd like to kind of tell the audience the difference between what bereavement is and what grief is? Well, I will try and do my best to define it. Grief is a variable but normal response to a significant loss. The terms grief, mourning, and bereavement are commonly used interchangeably, but in fact they are distinct entities. The adjustment process that a person goes through after grief after a loss, I should say, is called grief. Grieving is a normal 
and universal process, and it should be expected after a significant loss. Bereavement is defined as the emotional and cognitive process a person goes through when someone close to that person dies, and mourning is the outward expression of that loss and grief after a significant loss or death. Mourning, for most people, involves the rituals and other actions that are specific to each person's culture, personality, and religion. Bereavement and mourning are both part of the grieving process. So how does grief often present itself? That is another good question. So the presentation of grief often resembles a brief depressive episode. You can have sadness, insomnia, diminished appetite, and loss of interest. Feelings of guilt are also common, as well as feelings to, as well as wishes, I should say, to die as a means of joining the deceased member. The grieving person may also experience several phases. So the initial phase that's described is characterized by really shock and disbelief. This is something that usually lasts for minutes to hours to days. This is straight after a person has been told they have passed. And this is kind of, they can't believe it, what's going on. The next phase commonly lasts for months. And this is the more difficult one because it involves a gradual realization and acceptance of the loss. Oftentimes they get characterized by these negative emotion waves. Sadness, anger, hopelessness. And this is between periods of normal functioning. Normal functioning being living your normal life. And these phases need not occur in sequence and often occur simultaneously or in a completely different order. So just to segue from this, did you see a lot of people in the ED right now, especially in December, experiencing grief from loss? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot specifically in the emergency room that are there because maybe it's the anniversary of a loved one. Maybe they are waiting to hear news about a loved one. I haven't particularly had people that have passed away due to COVID-19 or complications from it. But definitely December, you know, Thanksgiving time, you have a lot of people where it's time for family, time for people coming together. And when there's that missing seat at the table... It can make it really hard. So for I definitely understand why this time of year, around the holidays, people are more distressed and, you know, they oftentimes think about their, their missing loved ones. Right. And sometimes, like I mentioned before, grief can turn into something called complicated grief, which can be found in the DSM-5. So what is that exactly? Complicated grief is kind of the symptoms we talked about above, but it's really prolonged depression and suicidal thinking on top of that. So the stuff above, like very common, people go through and can last for a significant period of time. But if people start having prolonged depressive symptoms, so their feelings of sadness, insomnia, diminished appetite and loss of interests, or they have suicidal thinking, these should be more so indicators of a serious underlying possible mental illness or 
complicated grief. So typically after the six months to about two years, the grieving person begins to accept the reality of, of the loss and they do begin to return to a normal functioning life. It is normal for the bereaved to re-experience symptoms from the first two phases when they are reminded of, of the loss. Um, but these are much briefer and contained as compared to the earlier phases we discussed. So, Dr. DeVries, how can someone tell if this is more than grief? And that maybe they should talk to an expert, maybe a psychiatrist, psychologist. So, people with grief, their expression of mood will be most likely feelings of emptiness, while people with depression will feel feelings of despair and hopelessness. The time course of it also differs. People who experience grief, these negative feelings decrease over time, but in depression it's steady and at times waxing, so it goes up and down. And then the stability of someone's mood also differs where in a person who is grieving, they will experience surges and retreats of bad feelings, while in depression, the feelings are quite persistent. Also in grief, people might respond to humor, and it might even bring them some relief, while in depression, there is little or no response. Maybe that's why none of my patients laugh at my jokes in the clinic. I'll go with that. I think that is the correct assumption, Dr. Reed. Nothing else could be wrong with your jokes. <laughs> right. Also, the content of thought also differs where people in who are grieving, the memories and thoughts of the, uh, they have memories and thoughts of the departed, but they do have some positive thoughts regarding others. But in someone who is actually depressed, they have largely unrelieved thoughts of their own misery. Also, self-esteem in a grieving person is more positive where they think that they have, you know, done their best while the person was alive, but in a depressed person, they might have feelings of guilt and blame and shame and overall they feel worthless. And then the subjective pass passing of time might be different where in a depressed per person, they might feel like time crawls. But in a grieving person, the time passes as before. Also, a depressed person might have thoughts of own death and make suicidal plans, while a grieving person will still believe that life is still worth living. And of course, we can find clinical impairment in a depressed person, but in a grieving person, uh, not really so much. And this is a huge distinction be between the two. So if this sounds like someone, something that you could be going through yourself, friend, family, co-worker, boss, aunt, uncle, someone you dislike, favorite enemy, this should be something that you should Definitely encourage and, dis and discuss with a professional, either your regular physician, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, in order to really talk to someone about these symptoms, understand yourself more, and possibly get treatment if needed. Great. Thank you for that. So let's 
start discussing this article that I found. So like I said before, it's called Grief and the COVID-19 Pandemic in Older Adults. But you can use this article and what they mention for any loss. It doesn't have to be through COVID-19. They just use this as an example for reasons that I will describe later. So this article was written by Joseph Galvias and Catherine Shear, published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. And I'll post the link uh, in the show notes if anyone is interested in reading the full thing. But what's actually interesting that I haven't found in many articles is that they start uh, with a case presentation, which I would like to just quickly summarize. Yeah, so it, it starts with describing Alice, who's 78, and she had only one sibling, Charles, and he was 69. And she lost him to COVID-19. So they lived in separate towns, but were very close, speaking daily on the phone for hours. Uh, he, Charles often drove to visit her. They enjoyed spending time with each other and doing things together, so they were very close. Despite having coronary artery disease and hypertension, Charles was independent and happy. And she was, and Alice was actually shocked to learn that Charles has been hospitalized for COVID-19 pneumonia and that he was intubated and placed on a ventilator. So a bereavement coordinator reached out to Alice and she very much appreciated it. However, Alice declined an offer to visit Charles because she was herself frightened of contracting the disease herself. She understood that she too was at a high risk for, for dying of COVID-19 because of her age. Although she tried to reach out to Charles by Skype, unfortunately, he ended up dying with only the bereavement coordinator and hospital staff at his side. Alice then later completed the funeral arrangements um, by Skype. So he was cremated without Alice being present there, and his ashes were delivered to her. So several weeks have passed, and Alice was just plagued by remorse for abandoning the brother. She yearned to be with him and could not believe he was gone she fluctuated between feelings of numbness to overwhelming feelings of sadness and intense guilt. She could not stop thinking that she failed her own brother during his last days because she wasn't there. And she was having trouble sleeping and was beginning to lose weight, but, but she did not meet criteria for major depression. She liked to reminisce about fond memories of Charles and knew he was with God. She had confidence in the religious belief that she would see him again one day. She also knew that she wanted to live and that she would carry Charles in her heart for the rest of her days. So she ended up um, continuing to talk with the hospital bereavement coordinator weekly. And the coordinator was actually a very important source of solace for her. And they often discussed the details of her plan to hold a memorial service in celebration of Charles's life. So I think this example shows us that death, particularly from COVID-19, is often very sudden and unexpected. 
and restrictions in place because of the pandemic have changed the experience of dying in general. It's something unprecedented and something that we haven't experienced in the past, maybe in 1918 when we had the Spanish flu, but not until now. So comprehending the reality of a loss is very difficult under any circumstances, but now even more so when the death is sudden and a loved one is left to die alone, like Charles was. Adding to the burden of not being with a dying loved one is the unprecedented disruption of our cultural and religious rituals that provide many of us mourners with a supportive social context, which right now we cannot do if someone dies from COVID-19. So Dr. Shear, she's a psychiatry professor at Columbia University, and her team has actually developed a set of guidelines that you might find useful in helping patients through grief. So these guidelines, I can post the PDF in the show notes, but we'll quickly summarize each of them. So the first guide, they have an acronym known as HEALING. Catchy acronym. These are, and so this is seven processes, as in there is seven letters in HEALING, that help us through grief. The first one is HONOR. And that is honor your loved one and yourself. Discover your interests and values. The next is E, which stands for emotional pain. And that is really trusting that you can deal with the emotional pain and that the emotional pain does not control you. A is accepting grief. You want to let it find a place in your life. L is learning to live with the reminders of your loss. I is integrating the memories of your loved one, letting these memories enrich your life every day. N is narrating stories of the dead for yourself and sharing them with friends, family, and others around you. This is to let people in and let them support you. So those last two, the uh, sharing stories with others and letting people support you, I would imagine, are very tough during COVID times. Yeah, it's very difficult to get together, you know, with friends, family, especially with restrictions, you know, in terms of how many people. It, it, it can be tough to do those things, but, you know, even though Zoom, FaceTime, Facebook Messenger is not the best way, you still can connect on a basic level with friends, family, and loved ones and try and share that emotional connection with them and talk to them about your thoughts and feelings. Right, so then the article goes into discussing a second acronym. The second acronym that the author mentions goes by derailers. And they are namely thoughts and feelings that actually interfere with adapting to the loss. So the D from derailer stands for doubting that you did not do enough for the person who died. E stands for embracing ideas about grief 
that make you want to change it or control it. R is for repeatedly imagining scenarios where death did not happen or happened differently. A is for anger or bitterness that you cannot resolve or let go. I is for insistent belief that this death was wrong or should not have happened. L is for lack of faith in the possibility of adapting to the loss and having a promising future yourself and an ease for excessive avoidance or reminders of the loss. R is for rejecting support from others and feeling hurt and alone. And S is for survivor guilt, which stops you from actually experiencing joy and satisfaction. And I have to be honest with you, I actually see two things in the the derailers acronym that I actually do right now due to the loss of my grandmother. Definitely use excessive avoidance of reminders of the loss and I kind of put myself into work mode and try not to think about her or her funeral coming up or her loss in general. And I think many people experience those thoughts and feelings that interfere with the actual grieving process yeah it's it's um it's a tough thing to go through but i think some of these um acronyms really help people to understand and remind themselves about you know the beauty of life and what we really have and it also can help people cope with the loss it is no surprise for a lot of people that COVID-19 has derailed these normal processes, cultural norms, things we do to normally heal from a loss. COVID-19 factors such as the physical distancing, sheltering in place have made it really hard. Also, the suddenness and unexpectedness of death with COVID-19 has made it hard to comprehend and accept in reality. There's also the continued risk of COVID-19 infection. And this, this fear and constant almost living on an edge can affect us from really processing and rebuilding our own lives. The almost random nature of the viral course with some who are ill, some who are not, some who have multiple pre-existing conditions who are fine and the young 21-year-old with no medical conditions, can all affect survivor guilt. The, also, we have the unemployment, the layoffs, financial stresses, all coming together. This all contributes to make it really hard to rebuild, incorporate, and bring the loss into your life and make it part of you. And finally, childcare or elder care interruption puts a whole new job on top of everything else listed above that people are dealing with. So I think the whole point of this article is that due to these many, many obstacles, which I didn't even think about how so many of these obstacles change the way we are grieving right now for losses. And it's not just due to COVID-19. But the whole point of the article is um, that these obstacles to normal process of grieving, the authors predict 
an increase in this prolonged grief like we mentioned in the beginning. So to address this problem, they suggest helping educate people and public about the acronyms that we just mentioned, the healing and derailers. The authors also note that a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a type of therapy variation called complicated grief therapy, CGT, was studied and it worked in three randomized trials better than another form of therapy called interpersonal therapy. Citalopram, which is um, an antidepressant, or placebo. So in other words, depression-specific treatments are relatively ineffective in relieving the pro prolonged grief disorder symptoms. But grief-specific interventions like CGT are effective. So the authors particularly emphasize to not misconstrue the grief symptoms as having depression because treatments are different. And they also note that an internet-based version of the CGT, the complicated grief therapy, has also shown efficacy in three randomized trials, which is interesting because I've never even heard of complicated grief therapy in the first place. Have you? No, I've never heard of this. So to summarize, the healing acronym, acronym we presented above presents really seven healthy processes of grieving. The derailers acronym is nine factors that derail this process and interfere with it many of which are currently being made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. So if this is an active area of practice for you, I'd strongly recommend to download the paper, read the article, and consider some of the options. Well, Dr. DeVries, that brings us to the end of our fourth podcast together. Wow. So do you have anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Yes, I do realize this is a pretty somber episode. But we do promise to come back in the new year fully recharged with a lot more information about psychiatry and its treatments. Yes. So we do wish you happy holidays and also a happy new year. Exactly. And if you have any questions, please leave us a comment and review. Rate and subscribe.